friends all the way from my favorite city in the world, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So thank you, Justin, for bringing some new friends. And I think, Patty, you speak English. Do the rest of them speak any English? Okay. Lillian speaks a little bit of English. The other two, no idea what's going on. É bom receber vocês aqui. Estão sempre bem-vindos aqui nessa casa. If you're visiting today, a couple of things uh, just to keep you up to date on. One of them, you see all in, some banners and things. That is a deal we're doing. We're reading through the Bible this year, the entire Bible. And according to my app on YouVersion this morning, I am 39% of the way through. So that feels pretty good because it feels like we just got started. And reading a lot of cool stories, some challenging things as well. Um, but I, I'm just saying that if you're visiting and you're like, well, that's something I can't be a part of, you can be a part of it. You can just join in where we're at right now, uh, pick up with us, and you can finish up next year. Uh, but just hop in wherever, wherever we're at, and, and that's, uh, the guide is in the bulletin. It shows you what verses we'll be reading this week. Or the free app for your phone or your mobile device, version. you can use that. That's what I've been using this year to, to do my Bible readings. It'll actually read it to you. Like, I do that on my way to work each day. I have the, the guy on there. He just reads the reading for the day, and it's pretty neat. Pretty neat. The other thing I want to say if you're visiting with us is today is a special day called PC Connect, which is our PC Connect is our workshop for new members. So if you've been visiting for a while and would like to become a member of Press Request, we would love to have you. Some of you have already registered online. Others, we welcome drop-ins. We have some great food prepared uh, as well as... Uh, anyway, it's about two, you'll be done by 2 o'clock this afternoon, but what a great day. Uh, the next time we will offer PC Connect will be in September. So if you can be there today, that would be great. Otherwise, you're going to wait till September to be a part of that. Uh, other thing, this morning you can follow along on version, or there's a sermon outline in the bulletin as well. Now, what we've been doing for the past six or seven weeks, we've been calling Unlocked. And we've basically been following Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And we have watched Jesus interact with all sorts of different kinds of people. And we've been watching how Jesus is, is trying to unlock every person to their full potential. Uh, Jesus knows, knows what you can be. He knows the dreams that God has for you, and He's interested in helping each one of us uh, unlock that. Now, sometimes it's a word of comfort. It's an encouragement to somebody. It, it's a proclamation of, that their sins are forgiven. Other times, like last week, um, Jesus comes in, and He kind of points out something that's, that's essentially blocking them from being the person that they could become. Uh, so that's what we've been doing in the Unlocked series uh, over the past few weeks. One thing that is hard to miss as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke is how Jesus seems to, to target uh, people who are on the fringe. Jesus seems to go looking for those people that pretty much everybody else had kind of written off, I guess you could say. And our text today is from Luke chapter 19, and it is a story that comes from a city with a past. And we're going to meet a man who also had a past of his own. Jericho is the city. Okay. In terms of, of economic vitality, Jericho would be something a little bit like Dallas. It was an economic powerhouse. It was an, a, a hub of financial activity. 
Coming in from the east, funneling through Jericho, you had spices, luxury goods. Uh, You had uh, garments. You had precious metals. And they would pass through Jericho on their way to Israel, on down to Egypt, or up to modern-day Turkey. Also, you had goods being exported. And they would move through Jericho, and they would move out east... So I tell you this to say there was a lot of money moving through Jericho. You could smell it. It was a tax collector's dream. It really was. Now Zacchaeus, you may have heard the name, the wee little man Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector. Luke tells us he is the head, okay, of tax collection for that region. So he had a lot of junior tax collectors who would answer to him, who would pay commission to him. Luke kind of tells us the obvious here. Luke tells us he was a very, very rich individual. All right. So in the hustle and bustle of this economic powerhouse, on this particular day, a piece of news got everybody's attention and honestly got them quite excited. The news was that the rabbi that everyone had been talking about, kind of this celebrity in Israel, the rabbi named Jesus was headed toward Jericho. This was exciting to people. This was, even though a lot of big things happened in Jericho, this one was really big because the stories were being told that this Jesus was healing all different kinds of disease. That this Jesus could actually cast out demons. That this Jesus was also teaching a message about God's love that honestly, people just hadn't heard before. The other thing about Jesus, a little scandal. Uh, People were also talking about the way Jesus was associating with, having dinner with, spending time with all sorts of people who basically polite society said you shouldn't spend time with these sorts of people. People like tax collectors, people like prostitutes, people like notorious sinners from the community. In fact, one of Jesus' key disciples... One of the leaders in his ministry was a guy named Levi or Matthew who was a tax collector from the area up around Capernaum, around Galilee. So some people mentioned even, this is the real interesting thing, some people were saying that this Jesus might actually be the long-awaited Messiah, the promised one who who had come to save, to deliver God's people. So that was a possibility as well that people were talking about. Now, we know Jesus is headed toward the city, and the proof of that, I think for anyone in Jericho, is this crowd that begins to head down the highway coming into town toward Jericho. Uh, Jesus is in there somewhere surrounded by this, this moving sea of humanity. And even for a place like Jericho, this was kind of a big deal to have this celebrity, this VIP coming into town. Not only is there a crowd working its way down the highway toward the city, there are also crowds now beginning to line the road that is leading into town. 
The crowds are growing. People are elbowing their way through the crowd to get close enough to possibly get a glimpse of Jesus and whatever like miracle he might perform, whatever stunt he might perform. They wanted to be there and say, look, I was there. I saw it. The claustrophobic feel of, the, of being in the crowd was palpable. Now, Zacchaeus, like everybody else in town, Zacchaeus is dying to see Jesus. He really wants to get a look at Jesus. Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 2, he wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. You see, if you don't know anything else about Zacchaeus, I bet you know this. He was short, okay? He was, he was a height-deprived person. And from his childhood, he, is, he had always been on the short end of the spectrum. So he knows there's no chance he is going to be able to see through or over the crowd. Now, we might imagine that for years, Zacchaeus has been the brunt of jokes, cruel jokes and comments about his height. Uh, even before he became this hated tax collector in the community. Um, he had endured the sneers and stares and comments from people about his, 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 his stature. Now, at some point, his heart had become numb to all of these comments, to all of this ridicule. Uh, when you hear something long enough, you just kind of start tuning it out. By, and also, I think his piles of money that he had been able to accrue were helping him to ignore those comments as well. Well, he did something that men... Respected men, professional men did not do in that day. And that was, he takes off running. So he's kind of hoisting up his robe there. He takes off running, trying to get ahead of the crowd that's leaving Jericho, heading out to see Jesus. Uh, and, and kind of get to a, an interception point where he might get a look at Jesus. Another thing that he does that pretty much breaks all protocol is, of course, he climbs a tree. I mean, how many times do you see a respected businessman or something, you know, somebody of that ilk that's like climbing up into a tree to get a look at it? Well, he's doing that. So he's breaking all sorts of, of protocol there by doing it, but he wanted to see Jesus, so he found a sycamore tree with these low-hanging branches, and he climbs up, holds onto a limb so that he might get a look at the rabbi as he eventually passes by. Well, he sees Jesus headed his way. And what he sees kind of surprises him. It surprises him because there's this crowd, he's a celebrity, he's a VIP, but he doesn't look like a celebrity, right? Very simple-looking person, um, doesn't dress like a king, doesn't, um, doesn't have that kind of swagger, but yet there's something about this, the humility of this person, though. There's something about Jesus, there, there's like... Uh, Zacchaeus can see this power that radiates outward from Jesus. Now, people are everywhere. The crowd is around Jesus as he moves toward town. The crowds are lining the streets as he moves toward town. People are on their rooftops to get a better view. Everybody is here. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the righteous, the not-so-righteous, um, the, the, the locals, the out-of-towners, everybody wants to see Jesus. And now he's getting very close to Zacchaeus. Close enough for Zacchaeus to see the laugh lines on his son 
worn face, close enough for Zacchaeus to see those carpenter hands, those strong masculine hands of Jesus. And then suddenly Jesus stops and you can almost feel the ripple behind him as this unplanned stop happens and people just kind of start building up behind Jesus, bumping in to each other. Jesus looks up at this limb-clutching tax collector named Zacchaeus and he's got to be thinking, Zacchaeus has got to be, he's looking at me? I can't believe this. Now, realize, before this interaction begins between Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus looking at Zacchaeus is not necessarily a good thing for Zacchaeus. Okay, here's this prominent religious leader, rabbi, and teacher who is coming into town. And while the balance sheets of Zacchaeus' life, financially speaking, has been very successful, the balance sheet of his life, morally and spiritually, hasn't been very successful. He is wealthy financially. He is bankrupt spiritually. So he's got to be wondering, what is about to happen? Why did he stop and look at me? Well, Zacchaeus then hears this rabbi call his own name. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. How does he know my name? And for that matter, how long has it been since any religious leader has actually called me by name? Now, Zacchaeus, you may or may not know this, probably not. It's really an irony, honestly. His name, the name that his mom and dad gave him, well, the name Zacchaeus means pure. It means clean. It means righteous. You talk about not living up to your name. Zacchaeus has not lived up to that name. But the Savior is not shaking a finger at him. Jesus is not chewing him out. Jesus is not giving him a dressing down or anything like that. He's not making a joke about him being up there in the tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus... Get down out of the tree because I'm going to go spend the day at your house. That's why Jesus has talked and addressed him. And Zacchaeus can't believe this. He jumps out of the tree. He is thrilled. He is enthusiastic. He welcomes Jesus. And they begin heading off toward the tax collector's home. Meanwhile, like kind of popcorn popping through the crowd, there are murmurs of disapproval through the crowd. A lot of people knew Zacchaeus. He had extorted money from a lot of the people in that crowd. He was known by folks in Jericho as not being a good sort of person. So it's like, wait a second, Jesus is going to his house? Why is Jesus going to go spend time with Zacchaeus? He's going to eat at this guy's house? He's going to lodge at this guy's house? That's crazy. And in that culture, you got to understand, eating with somebody, it's not like you're at Chili's or something, and you've got your plate of food, and your friend's got their plate of food over there. It was a very intimate thing in that culture to eat with somebody. In fact, it meant 
that the hand of friendship was being extended. It meant acceptance. It meant all of that because eating was kind of an intimate thing. I mean, you were generally reclining on the floor, laying down next to these people, and you don't have your like individual little plate of food that's been prepared for you. No, you're, you're tearing off pieces of bread. Um, you're sharing the same kind of piece of meat there, and you're, you're dipping with your hand your food into the same jar of yogurt or herbs that the other people were... It was, it was, it was different, okay? So to eat with somebody, hmm... Folks were kind of scandalized that Jesus was going to go hang out at Zacchaeus' house and share a meal with him. And then Jesus said in front of everyone, he said, I've got to stay at your house today. The Greek word there is meno, which doesn't mean just drop by for a visit. It, it means most likely Jesus was actually going to stay there, eat there, and spend the night there. That was where he was going to stay in Jericho. So yeah, the crowds are not happy. They're kind of murmuring, and they're talking, what, what's going on? He's going to Zacchaeus' house. That's not good. But Jesus sees beyond what everybody else sees. Look, we look at people, we make judgments, good, bad, conscious judgments, unconscious judgments. Uh, we, have, we put people in category. We label people. Uh, we tag people. You're that kind of person. You're that kind of, oh, you do that for a living. I can't, you know. Jesus sees the heart. And that's what Jesus cares about. In our all-in readings this week, we looked at a passage that speaks to this about how God has always looked at people's hearts, not at the outer stuff that we care about. So he sends Samuel at this point, the prophet in the Old Testament, to go and anoint a new king for Israel. And Samuel is trying to figure out which of these sons of Jesse will be the next king of Israel. And we have this passage in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound right? Isn't that the way we should all be looking at people's hearts? not judging by the appearances or the skin color or what kind of car they drive or what job they have or, or how well they dress or anything like that. So Jesus here, uh, Zacchaeus rather, has found a friend in Jesus, the Savior of the world. And his response, Zacchaeus' response to this new friendship with Jesus is, is so overwhelmingly grateful. He is so filled with thanksgiving that he's moved to do some pretty extraordinary things uh, in terms of generosity, right? He tells Jesus, look, right now I'm going to give away a half of all of my money to the poor. And if I have extorted anybody, if I've taken more money than I was supposed to, he had, if I've done that, then I will not only return those amounts, I will give them four times the amount I took from them. Now, you may be thinking, I'm thinking, because I get kind of cynical about people sometimes. Okay, he said that, but did he really do that, you know? Um, we don't know biblically. What we know comes about the rest of his life comes from extra-biblical sources, uh, uh, patristic father, uh, church fathers from 2nd, 3rd century and we're told that he became, yes, a church leader. 
He really did follow Jesus. He re- this day really was the beginning of a, of a new trajectory for his life. In, the, in Caesarea, he became a well-known um, Christian leader. All right, back to chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Jesus gets to his house, and Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man is a son of Abraham For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. To seek and to save what was lost. The Lord saw something in Zacchaeus that no one else was able to see. All they saw was the the fine clothes, the big house, essentially the greed of this man. Jesus saw a heart that was ready to change. That wanted something more, wanted something different. And so the Lord, the Lord announced his salvation. Salvation has come to this house. The Lord restored his identity. You are a son of Abraham. You know, he had been excluded from the life of the community as a tax collector. Good God-fearing Jews wouldn't have had anything to do with him. He restores his identity as a child of Abraham when he makes that announcement. Finally, Jesus doesn't want us walking away from the story thinking that this story is some sort of outlier, that this is some sort of gospel anomaly, that this doesn't normally happen. Jesus wants us to say, no, this is heart and soul of his mission. This is is normal in the kingdom of God. And so he says, look, The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This is why I'm here, for people like Zacchaeus. All right. Centuries before, we we know Jericho because of another story in the Old Testament. Remember, it's the first city that the Israelites conquer as they move into the Promised Land. Remember those those walls tumbling down by the miraculous power of God. His grace and favor is seen at Jericho in an impressive way, a landmark sort of way, as God's people move in. Well, now in Luke chapter 19, centuries later, the walls in Jericho are falling down again. Not walls of stone, but walls of bias and prejudice are falling down under the weight of the love of Christ. So let's... Let's think about three things this morning, and we'll finish up. The first thing is this. It's something that we need to acknowledge. As we're watching Jesus with Zacchaeus, we're watching Jesus with the sinful woman, we're watching Jesus with a tax collector named Levi, we need to acknowledge something. Jesus loves people that many would consider, frankly, too far gone. Unreachable. Might as well give up on that person, on that girl, on that guy. Um, Interesting bit of trivia. In the Gospel of Luke, tax collectors are mentioned six times. In each and every one of those six mentions, tax collectors are mentioned in a positive way. Extraordinary, really. There is Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, who Jesus calls, Hey, come and be one of my apostles. There is a parable that Jesus tells about a tax collector, a publican, and a Pharisee. And in this story, they're both going up to the temple to pray. In this story, one of them is a hero, one of them is a villain. 
The Pharisee, the religious guy, he's the villain. The humble tax collector who is so aware of his brokenness, won't even look up. And he prays and God hears his prayer. Um, In the Gospel of Luke, there's Zacchaeus, obviously. In the Gospel of Luke, there's also this... um, This time in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, when Jesus himself announces himself, I am a friend of tax collectors. So it's really noteworthy, right? I mean, it's a big deal. It's really hard to miss here. We've talked about this before. Won't go into all of it again. But in first century Jewish culture, tax collector was synonymous with bad guy. Okay? Evildoer. Bad person. You are a collaborator, if you're a tax collector, with the Roman government, the oppressive, invading government of Rome. You're a collaborator with them. You're a traitor to your own people. And you are a professional extortionist, taking money from people more than you really should be taking from people. Universally detested by polite society. Those were the tax collectors. And by contrast, Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. So reviled were the tax collectors, so hated, you didn't even have to actually be a tax collector to be hated. You could just associate with tax collectors, and you were guilty by association. In fact, one of the slurs that's thrown at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 30, is the fact that Jesus hung out with tax collectors. Can't be a real prophet. Obviously, Jesus is not really from God. He wasn't a tax collector, but he was eating lunch at tax collectors' houses. So we know he's not the real deal. So back to Luke 19, Jesus does absolutely nothing to disarm the haters, does he? Walks into town, says, hey Zacchaeus, head tax collector, I'll be spending the day at your house. And Zacchaeus was the head of all the tax collectors in the region, right? So the gospel writers take pains to point out for us that Jesus befriended folks that polite society had written off, had excluded, had decided were just too bad to be reached by God's love. And that brings us to the second thing, and this is a little bit harder, a little bit more personal. I can acknowledge, yeah, that's the way Jesus was. That's how Jesus operated. The harder part, the second bullet point there is this appraisal that I need, a self-appraisal, a self-evaluation about myself in light of how Jesus loved the outsiders. Here it goes. Appraise myself. Ask yourself, what biases or prejudices lead me to label, discount, or ignore people? Not only did Jesus not write people off, even the worst of the worst, Jesus, like, I mean, like, targeted them. They're my mission. I came for these people. He came to seek them and save them. He loved them. He needed... Look, God loves those folks. They didn't feel that, okay? They felt the cold stares of polite society. You're no good. That's what they felt. Jesus needed for them to know, wait a second, God really does love you. He valued them. He saw potential in them. He knew who they could be. 
The Apostle Paul could identify, if you remember the Apostle Paul, before he came to Jesus, he was not a good person, okay? The Apostle Paul was a religious fanatic. I think you might even be able to call him a religious terrorist. I mean, what did he do? Before he came to meet Jesus, he went around arresting people, tearing apart families, arresting people um, who were Christians. They were innocent. They were just Christians. And he would take them off to be imprisoned or to be put to death. And Paul, talking about himself, because then he came to know Jesus. Then he became this ambassador for the love of God. Then he put his own life at risk to announce this message of hope to people who were lost like he was lost. And he wrote this to his friend Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. He writes, I like this version from the message. He says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He says, I'm proof. I am public sinner number one. Proof that someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off. Evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Paul says, look, Jesus wants people to know about me because if I can be loved by God... If I can be rescued, anybody can. No one is too far gone. So Jesus, man, he loved people like Paul. He loved people like Zacchaeus. He loved people like the sinful woman. He loves people like us. He doesn't give up on people. But we kind of struggle with this. Because it is a lot cleaner, it is a lot easier to label people than it is to love people. We have filters, and they may be subconscious. I mean, we may not even know that we have them. But we have these filters that we're categorizing people, labeling people, discounting people. I mean, you know that, that, that lady over there, she could never become a Christian. I mean, she's gay, after all. Or that guy over there, he's never going to come to church. Don't waste your time with that guy. He's done prison time for selling drugs. You can write him off right now, or, or that young lady over there, she's a convicted felon. I mean, her kind of person, we don't have that kind of people that not going to come to church. Well, for the record, I've just described three actual people who are part of our church, who have come to know Christ and know his love and given their lives to Christ. Each one an amazing disciple of Jesus. And thank God, literally thank God, that somewhere along the way, there was a believer who would not write them off. But who learned their name, developed a friendship with them, and at some point shared the gospel of Christ with them. So whether it is first century society or polite society in Dallas, Texas, it is a whole lot simpler just to label people to, to put them in that box of people who, yeah, God's never going to be able to reach that person. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. So I don't know. What are some of the filters? Well, I mean, the list is endless, right? I mean, some ways that we can discount people or not even really see them. Undocumented workers. The poor. I mean, we may help the poor, but actually learn their names and become friends with them? Yeah, come on. Um, the gay community, the, the Muslim community, the Trump voters, 
the Clinton voters, the, I mean, you name it. What are the, and this is what we're just asking, just to kind of think about this and appraise myself, ask myself, what, what are those categories that I use to say, no, don't need to spend, no, God can't reach those people. Um, a lot of different biases available these days, right? Well, God brought down the physical walls of Jericho in the Old Testament. He brings down the spiritual walls of Jericho in Luke chapter 19 as he tears down the biases and judgments of people and says, I came for you, Zacchaeus. I came for you. And finally, we're called to action. The third point there is act. As disciples of Jesus, so followers of this Jesus, our mission is to help sinners come home to God by making time for them, by loving them, by sharing the gospel with them. And Jesus did this with Zacchaeus, didn't he? He did it by knowing his name, by staying in his house, by making friends with him, by eating at his dinner table. So it's about, really what we're talking about is about making room for people in your life. If your life is totally, is so full with friends and associates, you don't have any place for the non-believer, you need to make room. We need to make room for people that don't know the Lord, don't we? People who aren't Christ followers yet. And it's not some complicated formula or some manipulative technique to bring people to Christ or anything like that. It's about knowing them, engaging them, letting them know that you care about them, learning about their lives. It's about being who you are. Just be who you are. A grateful follower of Jesus who has found salvation and hope in the Savior. Be who you are. In fact, I don't think there's anything more authentic that you can do in a relationship than be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, man, a lot of friendships around here are, are built on sports team talk, uh, Pinterest talk, you know, that kind of stuff. We're going deeper with people. We're talking about things that really matter, things that have eternal significance. So there's nothing artificial about that. Um, Someone, just a side note, someone who's been uh, doing all in with us asked me the other day, you know, there's a lot of wild stories in the Old Testament. And, and they're like, man, what's, is like God a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament? And honestly, I think you see when you read the Bible carefully, God has always been the same. God has always loved people. God has always been about bringing lost people home. And one of the passages that we read already is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. Actually, I'm not sure if we've gotten this passage yet in our all-in readings. We may still have this yet to come. But Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home Again, God has always been about bringing his lost ones safely home again. From the beginning. Remember in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. They stray, stray away from God. And next thing we know, what are they doing? They are running away from God. They are hiding in the garden. What does God do? He goes looking for them. He calls out to them. God has always, from the beginning, 
been in the business of calling sinners like us, like everyone, to come home to Him. Restoring, forgiving, loving. God desires for those who have lost their way, for those who have grown distant from Him, to come safely home. And if you have strayed away from the Lord, if that's you, if you find yourself far away, maybe you're hiding from the Lord. Probably not if you're here this morning. This is not a very good, hide, a good place to hide from the Lord, okay? But if you, if, that, if you feel like you have strayed away from the Lord, know this, He is searching for you. He's calling you. I got a place for you in my home. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, in Zacchaeus' house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And if that's you, come home. Come home to the Lord. Trust in the name of Jesus. On the cross, he died so that your sins could be forgiven. He rose on the third day so that you could have hope that the grave will not have the last word in your life. Trust in that. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. You can do that and begin your new life just like Zacchaeus did with the Lord today. Maybe you need prayers. We would encourage you to to get prayers from those around you or come pray with me or one of our shepherds this morning. But however you need to respond to this generous, big-hearted God, do that this morning as we stand together and worship.